Welcome to Cinema Duel, a podcast where myself, John, and my friend Chris talk around a couple of movies around a theme of our choosing. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, John. How are you, sir? Not too bad. I believe the words I spoke to you when we first started chatting before the recording was is that my life crises are down to a pandemic and a broken microwave. So I feel like I'm like, like we're like the the terrible you know dive that this year has been is slowly starting to pull up a little bit. So <laughs> you're ahead of uh, the curve. <laughs> I'm ahead of the curve, or at least back to where I was, you know, nine months ago or whatever. That's great. And I believe. You, and uh, if Chris's recording sounds extra delicious today, it's because he has a new computer. No more broken equipment, no more starts and stops, no more terrible editing, um, unless we just really screw up or get drunk during the course of the podcast, because I am having a Negroni. Uh, but other than that, hopefully technical snafus will be at a minimum for this episode and all episodes moving forward. Yay. Oh, well, yeah. Until we get to like 15 years from now and your computer. But that's, you know, that's 15 <laughs> years from now problem. So, yeah. The last one lasted seven years and I super soaked this one with extra juice. Uh, so it'll last me a good long time. If we are still doing this 15 years down the line, uh, first of all, hooray for us. And second of all, I, I, I think I will have gotten the mileage out of the computer at that point. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, we picked uh, our theme for this episode uh, prior to any sort of U.S. election results. And uh, while not necessarily uh, wanting to have it be the only reason, I thought that uh, our theme could be either a nice bit of levity uh, to sort of go with a good mood or a nice bit of levity to, you know, soothe your soul, depending on uh, <laughs> depending on how it went. Uh, but our theme for this episode is going to be uh, romantic comedies, rom-coms. Um, it, it, there's, there's no overarching theme or, or reason as far as I'm concerned. It's mostly just that uh, in my life and experience, there have, they're definitely not marketed typically towards uh towards dudes and uh but the times when my mom or now as an adult my my wife would sort of sit me down and we watch something uh watch romantic comedy more often than not i'm like oh this is this is totally fine and it kind of makes me just a slight bit you know irritated that you know there's there's nothing wrong with romantic comedy and i, I have a good time when i watch them how about you man I love a real good romantic comedy, or I guess I should say I love it provided it does the things that I expect a romantic comedy to do. So we'll we'll talk about that. I, I have some some general ideas about what I always used to consider a romantic comedy, what I consider a romantic comedy now, and how that plays into the success or lack thereof for the two films we chose. But you're burying a bit of the lead, John. So I want to just be clear that even though today's episode is romantic comedies, it was not originally romantic comedies. When we were initially talking about this, I don't remember how the joke started, but we were going to do Tom Hanks films. And we had a yes. whole thing because uh, right now we are uh, less than a week away from the U.S. Uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, it would have kind of timed it nicely. We would have called this Hanksgiving. Um, but we were talking through kind of, you know, what we thought 
would be a good Tom Hanks film to discuss. And a lot of things went through. And when I started thinking through it, um, I don't remember how we eventually landed on romantic comedies, but I am somewhat partial to some of Tom Hanks's uh, more successful romantic comedies. And somehow it just kind of came around to just the genre as a whole. Neither one of us picked a Tom Hanks film, uh, but we may have to come back to it because there's probably a lot to be said for films like Volunteers and Joe vs. the Volcano, which apparently were on at the time that we were discussing it and may have led into a bit of our discussion around what to pick for this episode. I don't know. <laughs> but I like romantic comedies, uh, John, so we can talk about why and what and who. Um, mm. But uh, this was your pick and this was your choice to go. And I think we're going to talk about your film first. So why don't you set us off? She may be the face I can't forget A trace of pleasure or regret Maybe my treasure or the price I have to pay Thanks, Chris. And uh, I should note that uh, I still plan to do Thanksgiving at some point uh, when it feels like a better time because I like the name and a simple pun and I'm a simple man. So, you know, it'll happen at some point. We have we did commit ourselves to 15 years. So, you know, got to fill it. Got to fill that uh, content somehow. My pick for uh, tonight's uh, for tonight's episode is 1999's Notting Hill, starring Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant, uh, uh, directed by Roger Mitchell and written by Richard Curtis, who wrote up just a, most of the British romantic comedies that you know. Your Four Weddings and a Funeral, Bridget Jones's Diary, Love Actually, um, like when you think of British romantic comedies, most of them are written by Richard Curtis and. Uh, I think that to me, this is probably like the best one. This feels like it's a, an exemplar, uh, one that sort of is doing what this movie does or what this kind of movie does best, which I think is, you know, charming British dialogue. What do you think, Chris? I unabashedly love this film. Growing uh, up with a very certain type of romantic comedy, I kind of had my mind blown in college when I had seen um, Four Weddings and a Funeral. This was my first time. I had seen a lot of British comedies, but, it, you know, um, hadn't seen quite the deft mix of broad comedy and pathos and emotion that Four Weddings and a Funeral did. Um, it was just one of those films that just kind of put a hole in me uh, just because of the age I was, who I had seen it with, um, the person who still, you know, uh, 25, 30 years later still <laughs> lives with me in this house. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was primed to like Notting Hill. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about my concept of what makes a romantic comedy, what, what I want out of a romantic comedy, but but this film really does it. I think in a way it's a more pure distilled version of what he was trying to do with forwardings and a funeral. This is much more just, this is a love story. You know, Julia Roberts is very famous in this film for her speech at the end saying, you know, she's just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Uh, that is the crux of what this film is about. It's about a lot of other things too. It's about celebrity and it's about, you know, um, different social casts and, and how they can come together. But really at its heart, it's, it is a very simple love story and it's, to my mind, played to perfection in this film. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Julie Roberts is, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy speech. It, it Watching it now feels almost like it's a bit, like it's referencing something else, but that's only because it feels, to my mind, like it, it occupies such a huge 
brain space as far as when you think about the movie you think about that speech that's no it's not it's not that she's referencing something else it's just you have thought about it so often that it feels like a bit it's Um, 20 years of that speech being repurposed and yeah you know transposed and, and memed to death at this point but at the time, it was in the best, most manipulative way. It was gut wrenching, and it was, and it, it it did what it needed to do. And Richard Curtis is brilliant at doing that and making lines like that, um, and having a cast like this cast who can deliver those lines with um, the amount of empathy and the amount of emotion that they do, even when it's funny. I mean, there's the scene where. She gives that speech, but I mean, one of my favorite parts of the movie is when, um, uh, spoiler territory at this point, uh, a lot has gone on in the film. The film actually, it, it's interesting that you don't realize the film takes place over a course of at least, I think, two years. It, it's a fairly spread film. Um, and this comes kind of toward the end after a lot of kind of cruel things have happened between Hugh Grant's William Thacker and uh, Julia Roberts, Anna Scott, the famous actress. Uh, So when that speech comes, he rebuffs her. Uh, And one of my favorite parts of the movie is after he rebuffs her, he's in a restaurant with all of his friends retelling the story and retelling what he's, what she said to him. And just everyone's face is just like, Oh my God, that's what she said. And you said, no, you know, they're British. They don't have the heart to tell him that, that uh, he made the wrong choice until, of course, the great um, Riza Fons or Riza Fans, I don't know how you say his name, so Riza Fons is what I'll say, uh, comes in, hears it, and just calls him a daft prick immediately. Uh, that's that's the genius of this movie, how they can take something like that, twist it one way, and then um, not even five minutes later, use it as the butt of a great joke, uh, a great visual joke, a great verbal joke. That's kind of what, that's just a part of what, to me, makes this movie so special. Not having seen it in like probably seven or eight years, uh, I watched it about a week ago and just, I, it might be that this just hits me in a certain way, but I, I fell for it hook, line, and sinker uh, completely. For sure. And I, and I think like that, I think the, the, the Will's group, uh, or I guess um, Hugh Grant's uh, circle of friends that surround him, be, that become sort of his, the people that he brings Julia Roberts to meet and they hang out, uh, or later when they sort of rally together, I think they end up being sort of, for me, my favorite part because the <clears throat> the dynamics there, people who are do actually seem to be, uh, you know, struggling through lives, and but then they also the the, the for i like the way that they're written i like the way that they play off each other the way that they're distinct people um the the married couple uh i really like them um it it is a beautiful ensemble cast and and i think that's what more than anything we can talk and i'm sure we will talk about how great uh hugh grant and julia roberts are in their respective roles but it doesn't work unless you have that cast rounding it out uh, and yeah, to, to your point, they are, they are fantastic, fully fleshed out and just wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, even, even in sort of like the, I think my favorite sequence in the movie is the, when he goes to meet her at the hotel for the first time and he ends up sort of being, uh, sort of swept away into 
trying to fake his way uh, through a press junket and then uh after he has the conversation with her the 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 pr lady is like oh now you go talk to the other actors and he has to just completely like he's completely out of his depth and he's talking to clark peters of all people like i was i completely forgot that clark peters of so many spike lee movies and the wire and, and you know and everything uh is in this movie for for one scene just sort of you know, being an actor, happy to do some press for his movie, and Hugh Grant just completely, completely bombing on it. <laughs> Why don't you tell me what your favorite scene was, and I'll tell you if I enjoyed making it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great line. But but that's, you know, that's, I don't think anyone uses Hugh Grant like Richard Curtis uses He'll Hugh Grant. That's his element, to be completely out of his depth and to be befuddled and to be stammering and to be completely, you know, uh, adorable and sympathetic and befuddled like that, that that's Hugh Grant's like sweet spot. That's his gooey center. Um, and a lot of what drew me to the film was, uh, so much my infatuation with his persona and how I identified with being out of my depth and out of my league and situations and seeing someone, equally out of his depth and out of his league, way more handsome, (laughs) I should add. But how he is able to kind of work around that, it was extremely, I'll use this word because I don't have another word, it was extremely attractive to a young man who, you know, also felt lost in watching these movies and who had grown up for years kind of finding himself in the roles of other people and then defining an identity based off of that. Uh, I was... 22, 21, 22 when this movie came out, uh, maybe a little bit older, uh, you know, but still kind of finding my way as a young adult and I'm trying to understand who I was. And, uh, you know, I will admit that watching this and, and being with my girlfriend at, at the time, we, we were both just kind of like, she was like, Oh, Hugh Grant is lovely. Isn't he? And I was like, yes, he is incredibly lovely talking about different things, but you were immediately attached to that persona. It was such a attractive persona to kind of root for, uh, back in the, the mid to late nineties. And, and I feel like, especially, especially in this movie where he is sort of the person who the plot happens to him like he is very like as far as driving the plot he is actually fairly passive but in the ways in which things don't work out for like because because of course this is a romantic like a one of the things that i think of when i think of romantic comedies is what are the things what are the obstacles that get placed in the way of the protagonists that prevent them from being together and in all of the ways that things don't work up uh, work out right up until the end of course when they do but in all the cases where he uh all the cases where he sort of misses out or whatever he's he he is able to handle it like you can tell he's dejected and uh he's not happy about it but he never descends into sort of uh what we think of as typical angry male behavior um especially you know in the year of our lord 2020 right yeah i mean that's that's one of the great things about the movie he kind of just like oh well i mean and you can chalk this up to kind of like the british stiff upper lip but he just kind of like he gets over and he's like well you know i think how many times does this kind of a love hit you but you know things happened and it doesn't look like it's going to work out i'm gonna just 
try to move on with my life. I mean, that's just such a refreshing perspective. Um, but you said something that I want to chase on because it's, it's, it's kind of goes to the root of, for me, why I like this film and why I had picked the film that we'll talk about next. What to you constitutes, like, what is a romantic comedy? It's this to me is obviously a romantic comedy, but I have a very one of the things that I found as I was watching this and watching our other film and just kind of thinking through the episode is I have a very specific idea in my mind of what I want a romantic comedy to be and what it needs to do in order to be successful. So what to you, John, what makes up a romantic comedy? And it, I mean, I'm assuming this is a successful example to you. If it is, why is this successful? I mean, I, I can't say that I have any, I don't want to let you down, uh, but my I, answer is probably nothing and, and particularly sophisticated. I think like, I think my answer would be more in terms of examples. And like, I'm, when I pitch this as the episode, obviously our second movie is going to be something that plays at a different iteration of uh, what romantic comedies have been. But I think I was, and, and that's, great uh, fun i i like the movie that the second movie we're, we're going to talk about but um in my head i th- when i hear rom-coms i think of you know your julia roberts your meg ryan's your Hanks, like those those movies that came out during that time that's sort of where my head sits at um and i think what i mean i think right now what i would want out of a romantic comedy is something that i feel like I think one of the things I like about Notting Hill so much is the writing um, and that we, you know, we, we've talked about that with the Richard Curtis stuff. Um, but also, I guess at this point, I'm just hoping for something that doesn't make me feel, you know, super gross about. So let's say the, you know, the way the any points that the movie might be trying to make about relationships, especially, you know, looking back, especially the further back you look with age, which I think will come up in the next movie more often than uh than this one though i will say that as i was watching it this time around uh i was actually more tuned into or trying to be more tuned into what was going on with julie roberts uh in the movie because she's actually like sort of the driver of the plot like all of the times that they get together it's actually well except for when Hugh Grant finally gets his head out of his ass. Um, but most of, mostly up until that point, she's the one coming to him and, you know, wanting to hang out. And there's a way in which this movie could feel like kind of, th- this could, movie could slip into uh, her being sort of not, uh, like not funny. Like she could be sort of the, the, the straight one to Hugh Grant's funny things where she could be more serious or um, doesn't have those lines. Um, or that her situation being a celebrity and needing to, you know, escape from that puts Hugh Grant in the position of having to rescue her, even though she's, you know, infinitely rich, right? Um, there's ways in which that could break bad, but Julie Roberts has the best line in the movie, which is happiness is not happiness without a violin playing goat. (laughs) They give that to her. And I'm really happy about that because that's the line that I have carried with me from the very first time I ever saw it, which I spout off at random. Um, and I feel like her, like her complaints about Hugh Grant's character being inexperienced and not able to handle, you know, the, the sort of things that pop up because of her life as a celebrity 
feel entirely justified. And I don't ever walk away from that. I don't walk away from the movie now going, oh, Julia Roberts, you're such a pill. Like that's no, it's like she's she's the the things that they come up with to keep them apart feel genuine and earned, which is probably the highest praise I can give for, you know, a movie where, you know, at the end, they're going to get together. Mm. That makes sense. It does. I want to think a little bit about what you said, because I because I think it's not for me, it's not enough to say that when I think of romantic comedies, I think of those Julia Roberts films and those like those Meg Ryan films. Those are all examples. But to me, it's not like, well, what is a romantic comedy? What should a romantic comedy be? And the thing that I really like about this film, I, I, I thought long and hard about what a romantic, what a, there are a lot of things that a romantic comedy could be. Um, and sometimes they get mixed up with other things. Like we'll talk about in our next film about the difference between a romantic comedy and a screwball comedy, which I find to be two completely different things. Um, for me to, I've, I've kind of thought this through for myself to have a romantic comedy really work and to be successful because I would argue a lot of Julia Roberts movies are terrible romantic comedies. Um, even though they may be good films, a romantic comedy needs to be two things. It needs to be very comedic and very funny and it needs to be unabashedly romantic. Both of those things need to happen in order for the film to be successful as a romantic comedy. And I think in Notting Hill, it's, it is so successful on both sides of that coin. Uh, to talk about the comedy for a second, I, I, I mean, Richard Curtis is a fantastic writer, uh, even on films of his that I don't like, and I'll go on record right now, I really don't like Love Actually. I have so many problems with that film. Um, but he gets so many things right here. He does a brilliant example of what I like to call the triple joke, and it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, it's such a small moment, but I love it so much. So at the end of the movie, right? So it's it's back and forth with Anna and William Thacker, the Hugh Grant character. Um, they have the meet cute, then they kind of get together. Then there's a conflict and they go away and then they kind of get back together. But then as they're about to get back together, something else happens and he's driven away again. And then she comes oh, just a girl in front of a boy, blah, blah, blah. He says no. Then he realizes how stupid he is and he has to go now and find her. So he goes with his friends to go to the hotel where she typically is. He's trying to get her name because she always goes under an assumed name, which is typically a, a cartoon name. And uh, this is the same kind of uh, hotel concierge guy that uh, he had dealt with before. And he's not getting the name right. He finally takes pity on him and he says, you know, a, a, a and I forget the name. Like, uh, Miss Bambi was here, but she checked out and she's now doing a press conference at the Savoy. Now the triple joke occurs. The first <laughs> joke is Hugh Grant is so happy. He jumps up and he gives the guy a kiss and says, thank you and runs off. Ha ha. Very funny. He runs off. Joke number one occurs. Joke number two is the whole time he's in the hotel with Hugh Bonneville, <laughs> who is the schlubby stockbroker, who is so excited that his friend now has the information he needs to find his true love. He jumps up and he gives the guy a kiss and says, thank you. And they run off. That's typically how the joke works. <laughs> However, in triple joke, Richard Curtis time, this is all being observed by a Japanese businessman on the side who is watching the, the events unfold and just assumes that this is how it works in Britain. So he walks up to the guy, <laughs> jumps up over the counter, gives him a kiss, jumps back down and says, you have any messages for 
Fujikawa, whatever his last name is, bam, triple joke. It is hilarious. It's my favorite, one of my favorite funny moments in the film. I mean, the way that this movie uses comedy from a visual perspective, whether you're talking about Spike and his ridiculous shirts and his underwear and his grubby nature and his physicality, um, or you're talking about the more verbal kind of witty jokes or just kind of like a triple joke example like like this. The movie is legitimately funny and I legitimately laugh out loud watching it. But on the other side of the coin, it is unabashedly romantic. The meat cute is extremely meat cute. The interactions that they have, the chemistry between Anna Scott and uh, William Thacker, between Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts, it's palpable. It is real. It feels genuine. When the romance is there, it is really good. And it's so good that when the painful parts come, they are very painful and, and you're very empathetic to it. And when the huge ending comes, which which does a great call back to uh, Horse and Hound magazine and how that whole piece works, um, you, you know, it, 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 it's great and it's cheerworthy and it ends on a beautiful note. It's one of the few films and this is a huge you know, thing I want to point out, especially when we talk about the second film, this film sticks the romantic landing and it's really hard to do that sometimes. And Notting Hill really does. So it is successful in both of the genres that it tries to do and marries them beautifully. And I, I can't give it more higher praise than that. I'm typically not a huge Julia Roberts fan. This movie, um, and I don't know if it's Richard Curtis or, or just how great, um, I don't know a lot of what else he's done, but Roger Mitchell so knows how to use Julia Roberts as the stereotypical, you know, as Julia Roberts in this film. The way he uses her smile. I mean, she is most famous. If she's most famous for anything, it's for that smile. And he uses that smile to deadly effect. He uses it in the beginning when uh, over the, and if you're going to make me love a movie, why not have Elvis Costello sing the opening and closing song? That'll always get me. But, you know, he films her in the press kind of junkets and the red carpets flashing that smile. Um, he uses it in the middle of the film in a movie um, when she's working, she's talking to Matthew Modine and they have that horrible cheesy dialogue about in seven minutes, um, you know, I'll, I'll get you to smile because in seven minutes I'm going to ask you to marry me and her thinking of it. She brings that smile out, but then they don't really use it again until the end when she is with him and that smile comes back out and uh, it, it's just played beautifully. I think this is my favorite Julia Roberts role uh, just because of how wonderfully her real life persona is used within the confines of the film. Uh, it's just for me, the, the epitome of what a romantic comedy should do in order to be successful. And it is not a movie I would have thought of. And it is, a, <laughs> funnily enough, it was not a movie. I was all that stoked to look forward to revisiting when you said it was going to be your pick. I am so incredibly happy that I watched it again because it, it, it holds up so incredibly well for a movie that's over 20 years old at this point. That's all I have to say. <laughs> that, that's kind of the miracle, isn't it? That we can watch it, you know, 20 years later and go, wow, this is still good. Like it, <clears throat> like we don't have to like couch it in any terms of like, oh, you know, for its time or whatever. Like I, I, I think it holds up something that I think will probably come up more as we talk about your movie. But I think this could be a nice uh, segue is when I like to like, I think when I think of romantic comedies, I often am imagining watching them on the couch, uh, on, you know, on TV, uh, or, you know, these days, you know, with an iPad or that kind of thing. And, uh, 
my in my I don't usually think of going to see them in the theaters because you don't typically expect romantic comedies to have a particular visual flourish that would necessitate a um a theater experience but this movie like the people who are doing the the, the cinematography on this are they know what they're doing um in in a couple moments one is at like when they're doing the end like the the big finale where uh he professes his love to her and she accepts and everyone's having a good time there's a moment where they 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 show two camera monitors and they have one on each side and on the other side I was like ah that's pretty clever I like that but I think the the visual showpiece of this movie is sort of uh I think it's the song uh there's ain't no sunshine when she's gone and he's been just been yes. rejected and he and he's walking down the street and all of a sudden there's a gust of wind and he uh, and it starts raining and he puts on a coat but then like takes and the camera is sort of tracking him as he's walking down the street but then all of a sudden the weather changes to snow and then it like it seems like they're tracking the passage of several months time in one unbroken uh changing weather uh shot which I mean, again, is not something that you'd expect, but that's like that's really cool shot, and it's really worth talking about and 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 highlighting and saying good job. It's a beautifully shot film. I, I, a romantic comedy doesn't need to look as good as Notting Hill does. The fact yeah. that it does is an added bonus. <laughs> and uh, speaking of movies that just, to my mind, look absolutely uh, gorgeous, why don't we uh, why don't we head over to talk about our next movie? Sounds good. Down with eyes, romantic and stupid. Down with size and down with Cupid. From the list of that dove, down with love. Thanks, Sean. My pick is going to be 2003's Down with Love, starring Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor, directed by Peyton Reed. So I talked before in Notting Hill about Mm -hmm. what to me now kind of defines what a successful romantic comedy needs to be. It needs to really be successful in both of the genres it is setting to combine. It has to be very funny and it has to be romantic. Um, In my youth and growing up and before I actually sat down to do this episode and think seriously about what is a romantic comedy to me, when I would typically think of romantic comedies in my head, I would think of really what I'll call screwball comedies. The comedies that I grew up watching as a kid from the 30s and the 40s um, and then into the 60s, which Down With Love is very much attuned to. It is very much playing to a specific kind of romantic comedy. The type of romantic comedies of the early 60s that would star people like Rock Hudson, Doris Day, um, and Tony Randall, who actually is in the film. But the thing that I found with those movies was... Um, especially when we get to the 60s stuff uh, like Pillow Talk and things like that is I found them very funny and I found them visually very pleasing to watch. I never found them particularly romantic. So for me, they work more as comedies than as romantic comedies. I understand where the term is coming in because the comedy is around the act of falling in love or being in love or falling out of love and what that looks like. So I, I, I understand from a genre perspective that you know, really a romantic comedy is a comedy that has to deal with the perils and uh, foibles of love. Um, Down With Love, I think, does that really, really well. Again, Peyton Reed, who most people probably know now is the director of the Marvel Ant-Man movies. This was a 2003 movie that he did, and it nails 
just that 60s Rock Hudson, again, Doris Day kind of thing. It is about a um, young woman uh, played by Renee Zellweger. Uh, her name is uh, confusing me at the moment uh, because she has a couple of names in the movie. Barbara Novak. Uh, she comes to New York City in the 60s and she is set to publish her novel Down With Love. And the book is about kind of freeing women from the confines of a male-dominated world um, by teaching them to enjoy sex without love, by not having them be slave to the confines of romance and love and marriage that has kind of been a male-centric and male-dominated perspective for so many years. Um, and this, of course, terrifies all the males in New York City. Um, and one of the most wonderful parts of the movie is just her walking into a boardroom full of all these stuffy males. Um, right away, Timothy Odmanson is one of the people in there, if you know him from uh, Psych and from... Um, a number of other shows. He's one of my favorite character actors. Uh, he, she, she goes in and, and she talks about what her her view is. And the second she comes to uh, to enjoy sex just like a man does, all the men are like, oh, and they gasp. And it's 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 insane. Why would some crazy woman think about this? Shouldn't women just be you know there to get married and have babies and pour me a cup of coffee? So this movie very much is challenging gender roles, and it, it's it's challenging um, what it means to be a sexually realized woman, uh, what it means to be in the workplace, what it means to have those freedoms. But it uh, it, it uses as its foible uh, Ewan McGregor, who we talked about in um, Notting Hill. I talked about my um, platonic obsession slash attraction to Hugh Grant and the type of person that he kind of portrayed in the 90s. Well, holy crap, uh, if you were my age in the early 90s and you saw Ewan McGregor in things like Train Spotting and uh, A Life Less Ordinary and things like that, uh, it was exactly the same thing, but in a very different way. Here was an incredibly cool and suave guy who was passionate and aggressive and literate. And here he is playing Catcher Block, uh, the head writer for um, a men's magazine called No. And uh, he is the epitome of everything that Barbara Novak hates. He is a Lothario. He is a Romeo. He's got a bachelor pad that is computerized to be the ultimate in a seduction room. Um, He's the anti-Hugh Grant. He's the anti-Hugh Grant in every single way. So, of course, the movie is about um, him trying to knock her off of her perch, her trying to knock him off of her per his perch, um, them going through all these incredible permutations and machinations uh, to screw the other one over, only to fall in love, only to have that kind of pulled out from under them uh, in a last-minute kind of conundrum that they have to then overcome. It, it, is, it is literally the plot of almost every you know, romantic screwball comedy of the 60s. But it's so tongue-in-cheek and it's so wittily written that it's a delight to watch. It's a delight to view. This movie is gorgeous to look at. Um, I love it for all those things. I love it for, as we talked about with Notting Hill, it's incredible ensemble cast. Holy crap, the ensemble cast in this movie. Um, David this movie, Hyde Pierce. Yeah, if there's an MVP of this movie, it is David Hyde Pierce, uh, Niles from Frasier, and a bunch of other movies, but holy crap, is he amazing in this movie. He's basically playing the role that Tony Randall played in all of those movies of the 60s, and he is unbelievable. Um, 
A couple more people. Sarah Paulson uh, as Renee Zellweger's best friend. Also hilarious. Uh, probably one of the unsung heroes of this movie just because of how she is used so comedically. Rachel Dratch from Saturday Night Live is in this movie. And her first appearance in this movie got the biggest laugh out of me that the entire movie was able to do just because it utilizes her face in such a way to kind of promote what Barbara Novak is kind of selling in this Down With Love book. So, I mean, there's so many great things about this from a wit perspective and from a comedic perspective. There's a whole kind of subplot kind of thing with how NASA is utilized by Cashew oh my Block. God. And it's wonderful. <laughs> the whole movie hinges on his relationship with NASA. It's, it's, it's wonderful. There is a scene that it might be the most sexually charged scene I've seen in any movie uh, for a while where basically uh, Barbara Novak and Catcher Block are talking on the telephone. It's split Holy screen yeah. and it's full of double entendres, but the visuals of them using the split screen are hilariously sexual and provocative. Um, it's a delight. All that being said, it fails for me as a romantic comedy. Um, which is the big point that I want to get to. This movie is hilarious. It is funny. I laughed out loud almost the entire time. Unfortunately, a romantic comedy has to uphold both ends of it. And the romantic portion of this movie, um, while adhering as closely as possible to the screwball and romantic comedies of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, fails to be romantic for me in any way. Um, their chemistry, when they are foibles, is palpable. And it's amazing. Their chemistry, when they start to fall in love with each other, is non-existent. Um, and the movie really suffers from a third act where uh, something comes up and Barbara Novak is not actually Barbara Novak. She's someone else. And there's this whole kind of um, con that's being played at the expense of Catcher Block to get her to fall in love with him, um, which is a detriment to the entire movie. The movie realizes that and then spends an additional 20 minutes unwinding that. Um, and the whole movie and those last 20 minutes from that point suffers because of it. There are a couple still fun, kind of fun moments to be had, but um, as much as I enjoy the comedy of this movie, as much as I enjoy the performances, as amazing as David Hyde Pierce is in this movie, I think this movie is a dud on the romance level. And when I really sit down and think about what I want from a romantic comedy, this doesn't give it to me. And it disappoints me to say that because I do enjoy the movie, but that's where I'm coming from for it, John. I've talked enough. I'm going to take a drink. What do you think about the movie? You know, it's, uh, I mean, to start off with, I, I, I tend to, uh, agree with uh, all the points you made i really love the nasa subplot like y you couldn't imagine like this is definitely like even not being as familiar with the films that it's referencing you can tell that it's doing a bit um and i can only theorize that none of those movies would have talked about nasa harboring nazi scientists <laughs> that, that there there's there's no way those movies would have touched that with a 10-foot pole um or the uh um 
or the scene at the beginning when she gets out of the cab or she gets into a cab and the 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 anti-war protesters are holding up their flags yeah. but then the car backfires and then they all like cower in fear <laughs> like that's like th- those are those are fun moments that you get to have because this is a movie made in 2003 and so it's not um <clears throat> it's not beholden to sort of the uh, it, it's it's trying to do that thing but it can also like sneak in some of that more you know winking commentary uh on the side that's that's some of my favorite stuff um something that and i do love like to me this feels almost kind of like if mad men was done by 30 rock in terms of the style and the humor um just everyone's just firing on point all the time and so you don't necessarily need to have you know believable characters because this is just you know jokes a minute like from the from the like even after she you know gets into the cab and goes to the to the building like the the, there's a big there's a there's an elevator there's two elevator gig uh gags one where like 50 people try to cram into an elevator to stop her from going and then the next and when the next one comes and it's uh uh, sarah paulson it's completely like she's completely smoked out the room um it's just it's the the speed at which everything happens um is so heightened uh that it's like i can uh i can just enjoy it on that level without needing it to be uh needing it to sort of hit that extra mark um i do agree that the the way that the romance actually resolves isn't it kind of feels like a shrug in a sense of this needs to end and so i guess we're going to do it but my question going in was it feels to me like where the movie momentum wise is building up to or what I would have expected from a movie like this would be that he is going like catcher block is going undercover to try and get uh, Barbara Novak to fall in love with him so that he can prove that her down with love thing is a sham, which, uh, you know, a lot like that's an idea that you see in a lot of romantic comedies is romance under false pretenses. Um, and the way that and you would expect that he would actually fall in love with her causing the conflict of i actually love her but i've told her this lie and so when the lie is revealed there's pain but then ultimately they break through and they reconcile and that's kind of where i expected the movie to go but then there's it doesn't go there <laughs> it <laughs> it goes somewhere else <laughs> well okay so here's probably where we should talk about spoilers so spoiler alert but then she she says well actually i've been in this whole other con and now i'm the one conning you for my own reasons um and the the, that monologue that renee zellweger goes on is so long and it's an unbroken take like first of all hats off to her because that's she is fantastic in the movie there's there's no doubt about that and in that moment i'm basically ecstatic because this this movie, which already has so many like silly things, it pushes its plot to the point of ridiculousness. Um, and in a movie that is where everything is so written and and placed and planned, like the even the intro credits, the Fox sequence is 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 an older one. It wouldn't have been a new one for there. Like they are very meticulous about everything that they do, and so they're yep. very in that 30 rock way of we're going to very carefully say the silliest things. Um I really respect the hell out of that. It's just 
kind of what happens after. Like, I, I, I'm fine with her being the one actually pulling the con on him. But then as far as getting them to the place where they're, you know, more or less equals and more or less just like, okay, fine, well, we're just going to hang out with it. It kind of it kind of peters out there, I think. Yeah, well, the problem is, is right, because th- that scene is hilarious and it is, I, I completely forgot that it's one unbroken take and, and it's, and it's, it's hilarious, but she basically undoes everything that the movie is talking about. She is, she's not Barbara Novak. She was one of Catcher Block's former secretaries and she was in love with him. And the only way to get her to get him to fall in love with her was to craft this elaborate persona and cat and mouse game. But the end result of that is against everything that the movie is being progressive about. And, and, and the movie knows that. And it just, what winds up happening is it stops the movie in its tracks and goes, Oh crap. So we made this funny bit, but the bit now speaks against what we're really talking about in the film about being progressive and post-feminist and women should have the rights of men does because she's just basically saying, no, I'm one of those silly women who are in love with you and I just want you to be in love with me. And now it has to reverse it. So it it tacks on this movie is two hours long, which romantic comedy is two hours long. It's a bit of a stretch. So now they have to use the last like 15, 20 minutes to unwind, resolve that and get back to the place that it's trying to to posit. Well, and that makes sense because the things that I think, at least that I've talked about liking it, are the things where it is so immaculate in how it's put together um, from a script uh, and performance uh, perspective to the visual design like yeah the split screen like the the amount of like the rear projection could, in the cars and that's yeah the just, rear, just another piece right <laughs> yeah the the like the amount of innuendo in this movie is staggering and then they even elevate that by making the split screen like the choreography needed to do the split screen scene um as innuendo where they are having a conversation that like you, you, you could only get that if you're watching it and not listening to it. Like it's, they are, yeah. they are committed to the bit in such a like impressive, like stunning kind of way that when the ending, they can't land it, it just feels disappointing because you've been going through such excellence up until that point that the ending really sort of kind of shits the bed, not in a way that ruins the movie, but like, it doesn't, but it doesn't. It, it, yeah, you're saying exactly what I'm trying to, to say. I like the. I know podcast is an audio medium, but I'm I'm, I'm the, the whole movie hits like high, and then it just dips. It doesn't dip low, but it dips, and the end can't live up to everything that came before it. And it's for that, it's a bit of a disappointment. But oh man, the rest of the film is just so wonderful. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, like the. I mean, we could go on for I could just spout lines or talk about like the, the the coordination of their 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 costumes. I like the running gag of everyone eating because one of the rules in her book is that uh, you uh, you know, you can enjoy like eating chocolate gives similar benefits to your mind as sex. And so just eat right. more chocolate. Right. And so it starts off with her talking about, you know, self-pleasuring by and the, and the, all the guys in the boardroom just sort of lean in expecting something. <laughs> and she great. says by eating chocolate, which is a great start to that gag. But then throughout the rest of the movie, they just start 
keep eating more chocolate and it's not yes. commented on they're just eating it and to the point where like at the you know at the big moments of the movie they're basically just like shoving cho- like bars of cho- chocolate yeah. into their face well at the end of the movie right where where he comes to interview for a job and you see her the look on Renee Zellweger's face when she breaks the chocolate and shoves it into her mouth it's it's wonderful there's so much that is good about this, this movie um I, again i i i've i i i don't uh, disparage it um i just wish it had been a little bit more successful in this one piece but if you have not seen down with love uh please check it out it is it is it is hilarious um it is it is so on target with what it is skewering the other thing that, that i really liked the, the film doesn't dig into it too much but i mean the one thing about you and mcgregor if you're familiar with his work as a whole, dude has no problem getting naked at all. <laughs> the guy's been full frontal more times than I have fingers on my hands. Um, and one of the things that I found wonderful about Down With Love is, I mean, as post-feminist as its message ultimately is, um, that carries over to how everyone acts within the film. I mean, if anyone is sexualized in this film as far as skin, it's Ewan McGregor who basically uses every opportunity to take his, sh- his shirt off and his pants off in this movie. And they don't do that with any of the female stars. It's just one more kind of skewering of the expectations of what we've come to know and expect from films of this nature that, you know, he's basically changing his shirt and he does it so often that it becomes a joke in the film that uh, Barbara Novak says at one point, uh, changes partners as much as he changes his shirt. And that comes over the phone as he's changing his shirt. And he's all of a sudden like, Oh, Oh my God, I'm doing the same thing again. Uh, there, there are, there are levels and levels of innuendo and, and skewering going on in this movie. That is just a delight. Um, I really do love it. <laughs> I just, again, I just wish from the romance perspective that it had been a little bit more complete and it had stuck the landing like Notting Hill does. Notting Hill sticks the landing like few romantic comedies are able to do. Um, and I just wish Down With Love had done the same. NASA notwithstanding. <laughs> NASA notwithstanding. Now we're going to move on to our recommendation segment, which we do for every episode. Uh, my, I guess I'll go first for tonight. Uh, my pick is 1993's Much Ado About Nothing, uh, starring Kenneth Branagh, uh, Emma Thompson. Uh, just, again, stacked cast all the way down. Um, my, my re- I, this was another one of those Watch With Mom movies, and... Uh, the thing I took pride in watching this one when I finally did, because I think I saw this when I was in high school, was this was the first thing of Shakespeare that I could watch and understand without uh, needing a teacher to t- explain to me what was happening. <laughs> um, but even on subsequent viewings uh, and the the chemistry, the the comedy, I mean, it's Shakespeare. Like, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's absolutely one of my favorite uh romantic comedies for sure um and you know if we ever do shakespeare adaptations i could see it uh coming up for more conversation but yeah that's that's my big other recommendation for rom-coms uh it is uh one of my favorite movies of all time it is in my shelf of fame upper echelon favorite movies ever it is the movie that made me fall madly in love with emma thompson uh, yeah. It's the movie that made me fall madly in love with Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> I'll be yeah, honest. Yeah, also, also true. Uh, yeah, uh, I um, 
Uh, I adore Shakespeare. I actually, for a brief period of time in college, minored in Shakespearean history uh, in the early 90s. Uh, I saw Much Ado About Nothing with my girlfriend, now wife, in the movie theater. And uh, to this day, um, it, it, it's there's so much that I love about the movie. Uh, but to this day, still, we will um, sometimes when we are perplexed and we need to get out of a situation, we will call like a bird, much like Kenneth Branagh does in the film and just go, ah, 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 ah. And we know immediately what we are talking about. Um, that that could have easily been a contender for a romantic comedy. It is outright hilarious when it is romantic. I, I mean, you want to talk about chemistry, uh, the scenes between Brana and Thompson, who, of course, were married at the time. Uh, it, it's some of the best romantic chemistry I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, I, I unabashedly love that movie. Great pick, sir. Great pick. Yeah. When uh, like. The lives, the lives of celebrities are not my business, but hearing that their marriage didn't actually make it in real life is actually kind of disappointing because of how good they are together on film. Yeah. Oh, so good. And if you know, if we're going to talk about, uh, and if we're going to talk about lines quoted from this movie, I will often and frequently uh, uh, pull out the Michael Keaton and never let it be forgotten that he called me ass <laughs> and ass and ass <laughs> every I mean, time. It, stacked cast as as well brian blessed ben elton michael geaton keanu reeves yeah, <laughs> yeah washington you got a lot of crazy people in that 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 movie and uh for better or for worse brana is known for kind of stacking the cast for his shakespearean adaptations uh but uh out of all of them uh much ado about nothing is by far my 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 favorite glad i could uh uh sort of open that door a little bit so you could talk about Shakespeare. Oh, you did. You made me so happy. We'll have to do, I, I think at some point, let's just nail it down for one of the um, episodes in the next 15 years that we've yeah, committed yeah. to. We'll do Shakespearean adaptations. I, I think there's a lot to play around with in that uh, space. So Absolutely. That. Uh, my pick, I've got two picks um, that I'm going to talk about. One uh, is only because it was originally going to be my pick for the episode, uh, but we had some trouble on your side, being able to access it readily. And that is uh, Jean-Pierre Junet's Amelie, uh, <laughs> immortalized by uh, my brother, my brother, and, and me, a podcast that you and I both love. Uh, I, I cook an egg spoon. with a spoon. <laughs> I cook an egg with a spoon. Um, all those jokes aside, it's, it's again, it's one of those films for me. It's one of the pivotal films of my life. Uh, seeing it in college and seeing a foreign film and seeing the way that imagination kind of plays. I'd actually seen a couple of Janae's films before then I got to see the city of lost children in the movie theater. So I, I was primed for this kind of weird twisted French fantasy aesthetic. And when Amelie came out, it was a, a galvanizing moment for me for what I love about film, uh, taking inspiration from things like Terry Gilliam from, from, uh, romantic comedies, uh, just a wonderful movie that I, to to kind of speak toward it would be dis would be a disservice to the film. So uh, we'll probably talk about it at 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 some point. But cer certainly go and see it. My actual recommendation 
Um, it's something that I really came recently to. Everyone has blind spots. Um, I used to joke for years that for someone who is so known for being like a film nerd, I didn't see Gone with the Wind, especially one of the most famous films of all time, until I was well into my 30s. Um, uh, and this film, which everyone has talked about for so long, uh, especially my wife, who is Italian, and it was this was a pivotal mo- movie for her growing up, uh, it took me until I think six or seven months ago to finally see the movie Moonstruck, <laughs> directed by Norman Jewison, uh, Jewison starring Cher and Nicolas Cage. Um, I know everything about the movie just, you know, with the, he has a wooden hand, I lost my hand, and his overacting. Um, none of that uh, really prepares you for how magical and romantic Moonstruck is. In a weird way, I, I really equate it to Amelie, which is much more um, magical realism and it has moments of fantasy in it. And there's a scene where, you know, uh, she's so in love that she melts like a puddle and she literally melts like a puddle. Um, this doesn't do that, but it has the same sense of magic. It has the same sense of wonder and romance uh, that Amelie does. But it's completely real world, and it hinges on how amazing the performances of the cast is. Cher is unbelievable. Nicolas Cage, as loud as he can be, is also incredible and passionate and sincere. Olympia Dukakis, uh, Vincent Gardenia, it's it's an incredibly wonderful film that makes you feel good when you're watching it um so uh again i I think both those movies as i think back on my definition of a really successful romantic comedy has to be equal in its sincerity around comedy and its sincerity to the romance i think both of these films and your film do a superlative job of satisfying those those criteria so uh, if you've got nothing better to do and you've always kind of poo-pooed romantic comedies, do yourself a favor. Check some of the, these films out. There's so much value to be had there. Oh, for sure. And speaking of criteria, I actually think that uh, uh, Criterion is doing Moonstruck pretty like pretty soon, if not like currently. I think it just I, – I, today is uh, the 21st, 21st of November. I think it if it didn't just come out, it's about to come out on Criterion. So – uh, you know, just another reason to go check that stuff out. If Criterion's giving it the seal of approval, you don't even need our opinion on it. Go check it out. <laughs> well, Chris, this has been so much fun, uh, especially, you know, talking about comedies and movies we love and just make, that make us happy and fuzzy and warm. Like, I, it's this couldn't be a better time for us to, to chat about that stuff. Um, do you want to talk a little bit uh, before we head out about what you've been doing on our brand new website, cinemaduel.com? Yeah. So, hey, guys, we have an actual website now, cinemaduel.com. And both John and I are um, occasionally putting some writing on there as well. So not only will you get uh, the feeds to the podcasts and uh, when we are ready, we'll announce the previews for what we're going to be looking at next. But we're also doing some features and some reviews. So on my side right now, I have been... uh, Crazily enough, writing about film for almost 15 years at this point. Uh, So uh, I have cheated a little bit by going back into my archives for stuff that I've written uh, 10, 11, 12, 13 years ago and posted a couple things up. So you can see some reviews on uh, Kurosawa's Yojimbo, um, on Fritz Lang's Metropolis. More recently, uh, I'm doing a weekly series right now on the films of Jean-Luc Godard because I just picked up the Blu-ray for Alphaville. Alphaville actually used to be a Criterion edition 
Nation. They lost the rights when Studio Canal did another deal, so Studio Canal put out their own Blu-ray version. Um, it's basically got everything on it. looks just as good. I just picked that up, never saw the film, but I have seen quite a few Godard films, and I wrote about a few of them. So every week I'm putting out a Godard review. Uh, last week was Breathless. This week is uh, Band of Outsiders. Next week there'll be a review for Masculine Feminine, all which will lead up to me finally watching and covering Alphaville. Uh, I have a few more kind of in the pipe that I'll probably take a look at, but that's what I'm doing on the site. Some pretty cool words there. John, what are you doing on Cinema Duel right now? Well, I did not. I have a few things that I want to do. Uh, the first thing is I don't want to uh, dedicate. I mean, as much as you and I both love the films of Ag- Agnes Varda, um, I don't think we want to necessarily clog up our podcast feed with by uh, just turning this into an Ag- Agnes Varda only podcast. Um, so my energy uh, in that regard is going to writing about her works uh, on the site and specifically through the context of the Criterion uh, box set that came out earlier this year, the complete films of Agnes Varda. And also as a means to force myself to watch the whole thing, because I, I I mean, not, not that I wouldn't watch it otherwise, but just this gives me the discipline to actually like walk, go through all the movies with, with regularity and sort of commit to it. I'm actually going through and doing I'm trying to do like one every week or two weeks um, that covers one of the discs uh, in that set. So there's 15 discs. It covers all of her, like her feature length and short films. Um, So there'll be, and they're grouped around specific themes uh, in her work. And so this will be, I think I have, do I have two or three up right now? I forget. You have three up right now, sir. Three. Okay. Um, I have three of them up right now. Uh, I'm hoping to do one uh, next week uh, as well. And, you know, just I, my my goal is to have 15, uh, a series of 15 pieces that covers the entirety of her filmography um, because uh, it seems like a fun way to spend my time. So uh, and it's probably a better venue for that than uh, doing that all on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, essentially, we wanted just a place where we we really this is a kind of a, um, kind of a uh, burden of love for us. We we love talking about movies. We we love doing the the podcast, but sometimes we want to talk about stuff that really doesn't fit in the podcast format. So we wanted to just put something together. Uh, we're gonna try to be. I would say regular in our content, but by regular, that might be every couple of weeks. Um, so if you're just kind of in the mood to kind of check out some more stuff that we're interested in or just know what's going on, cinemaduel.com is the place to go. I think that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, yeah, cinemaduel.com is the website to find all of our stuff. Uh, and yeah, we'll be back at you next month with a, with another episode. Hope y'all are staying safe and inside and masked and all that good business. Uh, Yeah, we'll catch you next time. Take care.